0: Hello there, and welcome to another episode of An Irish Man Abroad with me, Jarneth Regan. I hope you enjoy this extract from one of my favourites. Ashling B is on the show today. This is a short piece from the full hour long interview that I did with her. And if you like it, if you like deep dive chats with hundreds of the greatest Irish people ever to have lived, why not head over to Irish Man Abroad Premium on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. It'll only take you a minute to sign up and for less than a fiver you'll gain access to everything, all our shows, all our interviews and all our other series including Irishman in America with Marion McKeown, Irishman Behind Bars, our true crime series about miscarriage of justice and lots, lots more. You'll also be able to walk around with the spring in your step, the confidence of knowing that you helped this series survive and grow through these difficult times. I want to say it again, our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. Jigsaw are an amazing youth mental health charity that works to provide young people back in Ireland with the mental health skills they'll need to survive this life. Obviously, since the pandemic, they've seen a huge jump in demand for their one-to-one and group services. In fact, that jump has been as big as 400% at times. With their phone line and webinars and website, they've continued making a huge difference back home across all communities. Why not take a minute? Just visit jigsaw.ie. See if they can help you or the young people in your life. Or maybe, through a donation each month, you can help them. That's jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of an Irishman abroad.
1: That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme.
0: What's the big idea? Well, they have learned to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works.
1: I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game.
0: I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and learn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here.
1: I had an Irish upbringing.
0: Twenty years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, Ashling, B, thank you so much for taking the time to do Irishman Abroad. We've been trying to set this up since about October
1: 2013. 2013. Yes, yeah. we have. Uh, but while. I have never been fond of you, Darlith. Um, no. And so I've constantly managed to avoid you. There's always been that bitterness. But now you've actually come to my house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
0: it is a beautiful place. Thank you. And what about this place? Let's talk about where we are mm-hmm. right now. You still live with your sister. I do, over here. like when a pair you, of old women. When did you find this place? And how long were you in London when you finally so settled down?
1: I've been in London for nine years this month and uh, I've been here in Angel in L- North London about for about five years. I was going out with someone around this end of town and I liked the area more than it turns out that I liked him. <laughs> so I stayed here, but that relationship didn't last and roo- I got what I needed. Out
0: your, of it. Ro- <laughs> your roots are here now. This is like before we p- hit record. You know, you told me you couldn't move back.
1: Oh, I don't know if I could. I mean, couldn't move back. That's a bit of a dramatic thing to say. I think I'm very much my community is here. So I think it was that sort of thing. I moved from Kildare to Dublin to go to university And then from Dublin to London, and I think I was about 22 then. And I think that's when you start really becoming your own personality. Mm. Like it took me a while. I was a bit of a nutter for a while. But um, I think the friends that I've made, I've loads of great friends still in Ireland. But my community of people that I hang out with the most have probably been in the last kind of decade. And all your work. coming to London. And yeah, all my work, yeah, most of it. I do go home for some things. Before we get to... How you got to London, maybe the we, aeroplane. Yeah, well, that journey, <laughs> that
0: journey from Kildare to uh, Lambda is <laughs> peculiar. And, you know, it's not one that in The Kildare is kind of in your frame of mind. I mean, I grew up with the same kind of horsey background. Yeah. But before we go there, who was Ashling when she arrived in London and how much of a country bumpkin were you?
1: Oh, massive country bumpkin. Like I was a real country bumpkin when I moved to Dublin. I remembered the first day I went out and about in university in Dublin and I didn't know I had applied for Trinity College and I'd never actually been to Trinity College until my first day of Freshers' Week. And I arrived up with skin tight navy jeans and knee high pleather purple boots, which I thought were so fashionable, like going up to Dublin my first day and I had bleach blonde hair and I walked into Trinity, didn't realise there were cobbles everywhere. And I fell over. Oh. And it was awful. And from then on, I wore flat shoes. Knee high. Knee high, purple. pleather, purple. Boots. Yeah. What year was this? What year is it? Two thousand and two. Right. Like, and I thought that was a height of fashion. Oh no, 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 no! no. But in my mind, I like I was a big fan of the cheap version of things. Thinking, ah, it'll do. I went through quite a kind of stage of wearing like rip off, knock off things, you know. And so yeah, that was quite the country bumpkin. I remember my first day in Dublin. I was uh, walking down O'Connell Street with my mobile phone, like my Nokia thirty two ten, out and about, going, "Uh, yeah, I don't know what time going to meet Jane. And like a young lad Just grabbed it out of my hand And ran And I'd The, the idea of robbery Was just I was like ro- Robbery? That's the sort of thing That happens in films In New York City So I ran after him Like across traffic Nearly got knocked down And I'd say The language that came out Of my mouth Has never been heard In Dublin since And of course he like Scampered away But I was in such I couldn't believe That I'd been robbed Shock yeah Shock Utter shock But it taught me Kind of a lesson On how to look after myself
0: So you Definitely think you toughened up over the course yeah, of Yeah, you know
1: that. that, that
0: <laughs> Trinity College. was a crazy. Yeah, and a Trinity College. School. It's a
1: really tough school, man. Sometimes, you know, you'd, you wouldn't you would have enough sushi <laughs> to get you through that, that afternoon slump. And it was awful. It was I, really I awful. I mean, I
0: know what you mean about being the bumpkin coming up because I do, like like I say, we come from the same yeah. area. We both grew up on the curragh. Yeah. Surrounded by sheep and horses mm-hmm. and the army. Yeah. and. Dublin was a long way away. Never mind London. There was a dangerousness to it. Yeah. So why then, when surrounded by all that, did you wind up in in Trinity? What was it about French and philosophy that...
1: Honestly, it was a CAO choice. It was a choice I put down on my form. I had no intentions of ever becoming French or a philosopher. No. Um, I just sort of just put it down. My mother was one of those big believers. that An arts degree will always stand to you. Mm. Um, And I think because she she's a retired jockey. But she went to university. She went to UCD and did like archaeology or something at UCD. But she's like, you can always teach. You can always teach, Ashling. if everything else goes. I wanted to go to art school at one stage. I was putting a portfolio for art school for maybe going to NCAD and then I just sort of just wasn't really good enough. And then I thought I might go to like one of those Ballymun schools and train in dance for a while, thought I'd be a dancer. But again, it wasn't really good enough. So instead, I have left Trinity with a degree in French and philosophy, which I'd say now is not worth the papers written on.
0: It probably is to your mom. Yeah, to my, oh, mommy has a framed. Ah, yeah. Your connection with your mom is something that comes up again and again. Yeah, and you know you're obviously extremely proud of her. And like, there's proud of your Irish Mammy. Yeah, and then there's the pride that you feel in your mom. I ah, mean, she's great. Yeah, it's an incredible story that you tell it. Like, who, who is your mom and why who
1: is she? Why does is anybody is she so really special know Helen? You? My mother is so special to me. Um, she brought us up on her own as a single mother, and she was teaching at the same time as like riding out as a jockey. But she's uh, one of one of only two professional female flat race jockeys from the 80s, herself and Joanna Morgan were the kind of Mm -hmm. only two working at the time. And she's just incredible. I think, I'm pretty sure my giant head quite literally put a stop on her gallop uh, when I was born. I think that kind of ruined things. But I think with any sport, you'll say yourself, you get to a point where you you either decide to be excellent and plough on So she retired soon after you were born. Kind of retired professionally from race around that time. She would have been nearly hitting 30. But she's worked in race her whole life. She used to work for the Racing Apprentice Centre of Education race, which she sort of almost helped build in many ways with Derek O'Sullivan. And then she now works, I'm going to probably get it wrong, for like the Irish Jockeys Trust. I already know I've said that wrong. But her favourite thing in the world are her jockeys. They're her third children. So Mammy's, my little jockeys. She calls them all of her little jockeys. are so important to them, to her. And so she loves, she loves every single one of those kids who she teaches and who's sure. looked after. Um, She's
0: responsible for turning out a lot of the jockeys that we know that lot come of out jockeys, of there. Yeah. Like I, Johnny Murtha came out of there. Yeah, obviously. he came out
1: of race. God, I'm trying to think now. I should really have had more names to...
0: It's. A, I spent many evenings down at that apprentice center watching five-a-side football between the uh, different yards on the area uh. and it was about the most extracurricular thing that any of those people were involved in. Yeah, yeah You tell yeah. me if I'm wrong on this. But I felt like and I still kind of feel like horse racing is such a single minded Yeah, industry, very much so. to the point where I know that I can't really impress my parents unless I buy a horse (laughs) or or back a winner to this day. Now, I don't feel sorry for myself. Is that what fuels your
1: gambling addiction? (laughs) I just want (laughs) to impress my parents. Don't go there. That's another
0: aspect we've talked about on the podcast before. Awkward. But uh, I I felt like, you know, my brother went that way, Mm. but their view of other things, Yeah We're strange and foreign Why would you be doing that? Yeah 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 yeah. There's horse racing on Every day of the week
1: And then when you go anywhere else People think horse racing is mad Like Mm. still to this day I mean it's come up now People always mention That my mother's a jockey And I've got one little bit on it But sometimes I think God it is really quite different Maybe I should write a show about it But I never think it's odd I sort of don't Find it odd, it's not odd to me. My father was an equine vet. All of the girls in my class, like their fathers, either worked in the army or else their parents were, were jockeys or something to do with horse racing as well. Like, it was just in our yeah, town, yeah. like in Kildare. So, it's it funny, seem you've odd. only got
0: one bit on it. I've never managed to wring any real humor out of it because it's so
1: feckin' serious. Yeah, I got one really good bit, and then I kind of can't do Anthony Moore now because it's almost summed up in yeah. that because I was like better sum this up quickly as an interesting point but I should really have I did David O'Doherty was doing one of his do you remember his 403 he'd do like a presentation of different mm-hmm. subjects and different, different yeah. comics to come on so I came on because I used to work as a, as a tour guide uh, in the Irish National Stud and um, Japanese gardens. And, let's and, not forget and Japanese gardens. Why would you come to Ireland to see the Japanese gardens? Of course, it's hugely popular. Uh, yeah, and I, I, my favorite was always bringing Japanese tourists around the Japanese gardens, who would sort. Of, it was kind of like going to Japan and going into an O'Neill's pub. Yeah, and making a Japanese man same. serve you a pint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a pint of the black stuff, please. There, what sir. Was their
0: response to the Japanese gardens were they. Were they um, snapping
1: away. I th- yeah. Oh yeah, they were snapping away. I think I remember one time uh, a, a Japanese uh, bus arrived into the car park. Really, unfortunately for me, I was the only person who was available to guide the escaped sheep from the Kura out of the car park. And I was just like there, trying to herd sheep out of a car park, and it looked like the most kind of Father Ted moment. And they all gathered around me to watch and started taking photos. And then I was trying to like you know pose a bit sexually with the sheep, but it go, <laughs> didn't go too well. Um, but yeah, with the Japanese garden. I mean, I think they liked it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure.
0: So you did a presentation about this.
1: Um, oh, yeah. With, with say, David's yeah. For David's gig, I did like this, how horses have sex, basically. Because that
0: was the job. You were to show them. Yeah,
1: I'd had to show, I'd show them into the. How the baby kind horses of, are made. How baby horses are made. Exactly. And so I'd bring them into kind of where uh, all the riding <laughs> happens. And they'd watch like as a, a handler would guide the horse that actually wants to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And some people are like, Oh my God, that is Awful, that is just. Is she okay with this? Has she consented? And you're like, I to be honest, I doubt she has, guys. So, if you want to get onto a vase and sign I a petition about a this, sorry for that teaser
0: horse. Oh, and the teaser a lot of pony, don't know about the teaser, pony yeah.
1: But people loved that. People love the teaser <laughs> pony in the stud. <laughs> Does they, he ever get any? Because people, yeah, are, he'd get up, he'd, he'd get to have it off with like the vacation. sort of like you know, the dodgy looking ponies around the, t- the ones who'd be like, All oh, right, how's it yeah. going? So, I'm a pipe
0: The the teaser pony. Is a pony yeah. that comes in to get the mare in the mood. Yeah, yeah. And then it's shepherded pony. from the room. Yeah. the stallion comes in, and, to and he's a really like
1: short little pony, but he's got a lot of spunk. Let's say. <laughs> a in his eye. <laughs> yeah, and they put they genuinely put like um, a leather condom on him so to make so sure he doesn't. Happen. Yeah, so nothing happens, and he kind of flirts with the mare, giving it all the you know how you doing, and um, then once they're like yeah, this mare seems ready and it's eager. Bizarre. Yeah, they bring the real guy in.
0: I mean, I I look back on that period and that place and it does seem like another time. Yeah, it seems like a whole nother world to me and the person that I was back then. I mean, you go to Trinity and the plan is to get a a degree. Yeah. You throw yourself into players.
1: Yeah. The drama society there. Yeah, that was a turning point. Definitely. They were the form formulative um, times i suppose in terms of performing i'd like when i was at school i'd like write all the school plays and play all the parts i was like oh does no one else want to play this part okay i'll play it um i was very annoying probably but yeah and like we'd have a real laugh at school but it wasn't really something you'd ever thought is achievable you know Mm -hmm. for me people in ireland who actually became actors had to go through the billy barry's in dublin sure and who would ever be yeah. touched by the hand of God to get into the Billy Barrys in Those Dublin. Those were
0: different kids.
1: Oh, they were different kids. Samantha Mumba had been in the I Billy know. Barrys. All a boys' own. Who was I? Just some Egypt from Kildare.
0: But you did watch it from the comfort of your home with two channels. Oh, yeah. and I'd love to be one even though it'll oh. never happen.
1: I'd love to be one with their free Dunn Stores clothes and gay goals. go. And all of the clothes that the Billy Barrys were wearing today were sponsored by Dunn Stores. And we're like, oh, imagine getting free clothes from Dunn Stores. God, those Billy Barrys have a bloody life, right?
0: I they? kind of resented them a little bit. I oh, I hated that, every single one of yeah, them. Yeah, I hated yeah. the jazz hands. I hated yeah, their little the, uh, faces, fake smiles. Yeah, but probably just like you, there was a part of me that was yeah, it was, je- it was totally out, to be, out of jealousy. Because we us, never. They ain't us.
1: How do you even get to Dublin? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that players thing has turned out so many great people. And
1: yeah, do you know what? It's an it was an amazing thing because I was at Trinity for four years. And there's this uh, kind of old theater down the back, which is a giant wooden building. And none of us, until we graduate and realize how expensive it is to put on plays and find nice spaces to put on theaters and comedy shows, realized what an absolute gem of a thing we mm. had there. And I suppose that's the thing about going to university, why it's important to open it up to as many people as possible is you don't necessarily go to go and get a job. University is such a lovely time to try and explore who you are, to find out what you might do, to meet all Mm. sorts of different people. And I hate, I hate when that's not available to as many people as possible Mm. because the more, like with anything, after I left drama school, the fees in the UK went sky high. So now I think it's something like 15 grand to go to drama school. There was a load of Irish actors who graduated around my time who were all doing very well from drama school. And we, it cost us like, I think, £2,000 a year, which is a lot of money, but you can get a bank loan for that Reason. and you get a student yeah. loan. Now it's something like 15000 per, per year. How is, that's essentially going to make the world there upper-class English yeah. or the odd person who might feel like a pariah because they got a, some kind of grant or something. So for me, what was amazing, it was the same with when I was at Trinity, I don't know what the fees are like now. I think it was maybe a €1,000 or €800 to go every now that's a lot of money but you take out a loan and it's an investment in yourself but we were so lucky with what we had there like just I mean the theater space that's where I met in my first week and a half I auditioned to get into the big play and I didn't get in and I was like oh god and I was so disappointed I thought well that's it I may as well go and give up all those acting things I didn't get into the big play yeah I thought I thought that's how it happened well I didn't know I didn't know anything else like I didn't mm. know that that's not how it happened I didn't know
0: there's going to ju- be more plays there's
1: that, yeah there'd ever be another play again I mm. just thought well, what was oh, the well. play oh it's a thing called the co-op in Trinity and it's the first it's like the freshers big play okay so it's kind of like it feels like it's your first kind of gang you get to be part of and I wasn't and I knew no one in Dublin I arrived I was living with my granddad out in Clontarf and my aunt who was a nun and I was like going in every day trying literally had to go and make friends like go up to people and go, hi, where are you from? Oh my god, I wouldn't go back to it for. And like, I'm a confident, chatty person, but God, I don't know how shy people do it in the first couple of weeks so at you university. I knew nobody in there. Knew nobody usually in the whole of Dublin. Someone. Usually, there's someone. I knew nobody, and so when I didn't get into that play, I felt like, oh, that would have been my gang. And so, like, you'd, you'd find people on nights out and all these sort of like. I'm lonely you're lonely do you want to hang out but then there was like an audition for a comedy group and I was like I make people laugh sometimes and like I knew nothing about comedy I knew Tommy Tiernan I knew Deirdre Kane, Father, and Ted. Father Ted and whatever had been on RT1 and Network sure. 2 or Irish channels but I didn't know anything about Monty Python or sketch groups didn't know what a sketch group was but there was an audition for a comedy sketch group I was like ah yeah And so um, they decided to put me into that and was just with a load of men. So it was myself and a load of guys who'd go on to make Dead Cat Bounce and all those, that crowd. And we just became, that was my life for the next three years. was just, I pretty much almost failed university a couple of times because... Because of that sketch group. Yeah, I would do... so So players and the sketch group, we would do, I would do a play after that every kind of three or four weeks and we would write our rear ends off and perform our rear ends off In Trinity, we gave up all of our time to do it in Temple Bar. We did two Edinburgh runs and with our sketch group. And again, like we didn't, I mean, most of us didn't know how to use a bloody washing machine. They were the kind of first English people I knew. I'd never even known any English people growing up. Like, honestly, I just didn't. Why would you ever talk to an English person? So until I went to Trinity, I knew no English people. Like I was so green when I think back on it. I just had no idea about life, really. And like we were all going out with each other for loads of the time as well, like it was just sort of a nutty little time. But again, those that was almost like my training for like the rhythms of sure. comedy, like the, yeah. the, how to write with the arc of a sketch, how to how to not write, how to be funny, how to perform on stage, how to remember lines. All that stuff came from that that kind of stands to me now. Like it doesn't stand up as such a totally different craft to sketch or acting but you learn you can take bits with you you know and um, so was
0: there a terror then as that approached its end or oh did we you were all so upset with each other yeah an actress was it a case of once this is over How am I going to make this my life?
1: So one of my best friends in the world is Brona C. Titley, who's a wonderful Irish uh, actress and writer. And we write lots together. She directed my Edinburgh show this year, actually. And Brona and I, as the lads went into their final year, we all broke up with each other and the sketch group broke up. And it was so sad. It felt like, oh, my God. Like, we honestly thought we were as important as the Beatles. Like, and we weren't at all, you know. But we really it it, it had such a profound effect on us. And it kind of been a real coming of age time for us all I think we all kind of went a bit loopy and so myself and Brona took like a character a two hander character comedy to Edinburgh and the lads took up another show and um, Brona had auditioned for Lambda and I'd never even thought about drama school didn't really know what it was but she got in and so I went over to visit her and I kind of thought oh London hey just never thought there'd be any point point in. why would you go to poor man's Ireland it had never occurred it never occurred to me to even go like if you're going, and going on holiday like go to France don't go to England so yeah we I just thought maybe I'll audition for drama school as well and I'd had a bad breakup at university and I really just I felt like you know when your when your heart breaks for the very first time and you think, I must leave this island. And there was a vibe like, you know, yeah, as if it had, never, away from this mess. it had never happened to anyone before. Mm. No one had ever had yeah. their heart broken before. And I was so heartbroken. And I was like, right, I know, I'll go to England. And it was the best decision I ever made. Like those two years at drama school were nutty and weird. And I didn't love it. I did not love it at all. I loved my classmates. We had a lot of friends, so many great friends from that time. But I almost learned less I just learned more what I didn't like um, I found it very tough I think I came in literally having moved to another country and Chris O'Dowd went to the same drama school and he'll he'll say the same thing about it in that I think they think when you come in really chatty and trying to be funny that you need to have your head cut off
0: mm, you gotta knock that out yeah of you. you
1: gotta knock that out of you and actually you just need to let people settle I'm one of those people you just need to let me settle and then I'm grand but also why would that be a bad thing? In different different ones have different approaches, so some drama schools believe in really fostering the star within you, but then you go around thinking you 're a star, which is the worst thing you can ever do is thinking that you 're special I, in my opinion anyways, I think you work with what you have, but don 't ever think you 're better than anyone else like i was that 's another reason I love my mother. My mother talks to everyone with the same level of respect, whether you are a fifteen year old jockey who 's had the worst life and are now sitting on a horse or whether you are a renowned trainer or whoever you are she treats you with the same element of respect. And I think it's a great way to live your life. As soon as you start looking down on people or looking up, putting people on pedestals, you're devaluing yourself but you're also creating false gods or of yourself or of the person you're looking up at. So there's that way or the way which it was at the drama school I went to which is kind of like break everyone down to be the same. How does it break And down? then just there was a lot of chat and now this is this is vilifying them which is totally not right at all. Like it's I, had l- there were lovely there. there were so many lovely things about drama school and lovely teachers there and I learned so many important things like how to project your voice mm-hmm. if someone's coming to see you somewhere, the people at the back have just as much right. Mm-hmm. They're paying their tickets just as much as a person at the front. So vocal warmth projecting your voice, looking at a character and a text, and trying to work out why the character is doing what they're doing. Yeah, giving, all taught there, giving grace, all taught there, and so a lot of that. I just think for me, it was. Uh, sometimes an element of this is all serious, and we are serious rather than going, this is serious. You take your work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. The moment mm. you can't have a bit of crack, yeah, is a rate like the moment you can't see the funny side of things. and my favorite teachers there were always the ones who were going, okay, we'll take this seriously. and now get up your off your arses and we'll all have a laugh and that that was always the best. But I think um, so knocking it out of you, you're you're probably extremely Irish in that you want everybody to like you. Yeah, well.
0: I want to be the crack. Yeah, uh, and you're rolling in there, like you say, speaking to
1: everybody with the same level yeah. of respect and hoping that they'll all think you're yeah. a decent person. I remember one time saying to one of the teachers, she was like, "I won't be here on Monday because I'm going to New York for the weekend." It's like, "All right," and your family there? And she, she looked at me like I just said, "What were the results of your last smear test?" Like, she, uh, like I'd said the most personal thing there were. and I found I actually found the culture clash when I first moved to England. Because you can't put your finger on it mm. really tough from that point of view. But my friends in, in my, my my class were ju- are just still some of my most amazing friends. Just glorious, lovely people. But I find when you've got people going to drama school, like essentially most people who are in performing or acting are insecure in some way and that you want us to like, we want you to like us or we mm-hmm. want some, something is within you that you want, you want something else. You're looking for affirmation or yeah. some kind of thing. And I think that it, there's a, a level of insecurity there where you're willing to accept maybe what people tell you. And I think a lot of the times in drama schools, they speak to you like they're psychologists. So they speak to you kind of like, well, you do this and you do this. But if, I remember one person saying to my one of my friends that she will never do comedy because she's not funny. And that has always stood to her every time she's had an audition for anything that's a bit funny. She's like, well, I'm not funny. And she is. She's great crack. We'd have such a laugh. You know she might not go around making loads of jokes or anything like that but she is a funny person with an amazing personality yeah, I really don't think and so they're... things like that it's incredible Well, i found it very prescriptive when you start telling people what they are and you think no and for a while you think okay well this person must be why would they say it otherwise but yeah, then you start a to, job at this big school yeah it's kind of like you know you don't you don't listen to what people on twitter say yeah you know or you have you create what i've learned to in in most things is kind of surround myself with um people whose opinions i really value so then when you You've got a lot of opinions in, whether the reviews or Twitter or something like that. You go, what bit of this is right? Was I bad? And they might say, yeah, that wasn't the best gig you've ever had. Or I thought you sort of went one note with that. And you go, OK, grand, that's something I can work on. Right. But, but their yeah. opinions matter more. Yeah, right? yeah. Because it's, it's a, yeah, it's. Chris talked about
0: real. the baby
1: day. Did you do the baby exercise? Baby, which one was that?
0: We said he, they were asked to crawl around on the floor like babies for hours.
1: Ah, like that was like every other week. Yeah, like I mean, there was all, like I remember one time I had to pretend to be mud. Uh, one time we had to paint the wall yellow with our voices. Ah, and you're going, is the yellow enough yet? Ah, is it yellow now? I think that looks more orange. Ah, you know, this sort of stuff. You're like, ah, lads. But again, with some of those things, well, Some parts of it are weird But they're teaching you to say Open yep. up your back chest When you're speaking So when you're speaking aloud You can speak Very loudly And you can do it openly And change your voice And then there are other bits That are like This has been two hours now Of doing flamenco dancing Are you sure we need yeah, flamenco, dancing flamenco, for two- flamenco dancing oh, for flamenco two weeks, weeks. No, two years. Two years. Two years of <laughs> flamenco dancing, Charlotte. <laughs> two like, and I still okay. can't get the castanets right. Like, oh my God. I think they were just stuck for a space where to put people. And so we learn. And because there are certain things you learn for a couple of weeks and it teaches you to use your right foot and your sure. left foot. Yeah. But like, I cannot see the spin-off series of like, she was just an Irish girl who'd only known one form of dancing. <laughs> but this summer, she needs to go into Spain and do flamenco da- I mean... Two Two years of it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: Chris obviously talked about getting the fuck out of there mm. at the first opportunity. Mm. He was working on a building site. There was a number of reasons, but was
1: there ever a moment in there where you thought, fuck Yeah, right. yeah. Four months in, I went up and asked to leave. The guy, Colin Cook, who was a lovely northern man, he convinced me not to. And I'll always be very thankful for him because I think I might have left England if I hadn't. What did he say um, he, just, he was like, people
0: find... There it is. That's just the beginning. To hear almost 60 minutes more of this conversation and hundreds more full-length Irishman Abroad episodes and shows, join us on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. Help support the creation and continuation of of this series for years to come for less than a or a month you'll gain access to all our episodes shows live events and for a limited time only everyone who signs up in the first two weeks of august will get my brand new stand-up comedy special notions 11 shot by my favorite director mike donnelly in Vicker street in march 2020 that's hundreds of hours of entertainment inspiration and laughter for less than the price of one of your fancy coffees over at patreon.com forward slash abroad. I want to say thanks to my ultrasound producer as always Brian Connolly, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible and finally to our chosen charity partner Jigsaw. Jigsaw.ie are a youth mental health charity that is changing and saving lives across all communities back in Ireland. Now more than ever they could do with your support. Go to Jigsaw.ie to see their great work, get some help with the young people in your life or maybe through a donation you can help them.